Today's episode goes back into the archives to what was one of our most listened to episodes in our first years with Richmond Flowers III, who is the founder of QB Collective. I originally was introduced to QB Collective and Richmond by Will Hewlett, who was a guest again just last week. Since recording this episode, I've been able to attend several QB Collective events, and I can say it is amazing to see the level of coaching that is happening on the field and in the classrooms with some of the top high school QBs in the country. The influence of the QB Collective has certainly grown, and you can see and hear them mentioned regularly on the NFL Network, Sports Illustrated, and other media outlets. This past weekend provided a matchup of two coaches who are prominent at QB Collective, Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan, which leads to a matchup of Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, who is another member of QB Collective, in the NFC Championship game. I can say in the playoffs in general, there have been plenty of coaches who I've seen at the event. They are some of the brightest minds in the game, and the level of detail in their coaching, which I've been able to witness, certainly explains why so many of them are in the postseason. So I hope to have Richmond on back again here in the near future, but here's my episode with Richmond Flowers III, founder of QB Collective. I'm excited to be joined today by the founder of the Quarterback Collective, Richmond Flowers. Richmond, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Keith. Richmond, you certainly have been able to grab a, a lot of attention in the coaching world, in the media, in what you've been able to do to put together a group who's going out and working with high school kids to help them improve their abilities on the field. Certainly, we can look at this as potentially some kind of a, a service for, for their future with scouting and those kinds of things. You actually call your, your camp the anti-combine, that that's it, not designed for that, but it's designed to really educate them and prepare them for the things they're going to do on the field. So before we get into some of your background in those things, if you would please just give us an overview of what the Quarterback Collective is. Yeah, we... <laughs> We have called it the anti-showcase. The way I look at this is there's all kinds of options out there that will boost your exposure, that will get your name in print. But from my standpoint, it was basically taking experiences from my life, both as a player, a student athlete, or even before that, a young kid with a, with a goal and a dream to accomplish in the future of playing in the NFL. And then through being a student athlete, a player, and then ultimately a coach, who's taking those experiences and realizing, wow, in my case, I realized a little bit too late that I had acquired some knowledge that would have been highly valuable to me as a youngster and, and felt compelled to essentially put together a program that was really based on those experiences on how we could position ourselves as athletes and really as coaches for success. And so that's sort of the foundation of what the QB Collective is, is not about showcase, showcasing your skills necessarily, but preparing athletes to be prepared to compete, to unlock their potential when the game is on the line and under the lights, is to essentially prepare guys for competition, prepare athletes for competition, and at the same time, preparing coaches to understand a process that could help their students their pupils, per se, put their best foot forward and accomplish their goals. 
And on the surface, what you explained sounds a lot like maybe what a lot of other people are doing out there in terms of, okay, we're going to put a camp together. We're going to do those kinds of things. But you guys take it to another level, both in the depth that you go into, but also in the group who are your instructors and, and coaches in this camp. So first of all, tell us about the guys you've gotten involved in this. I've actually start with the most valuable piece to all of this, which is the guys who have spent their lives building a business, trying to influence athletes in sort of a, a more thankless area of private coaching. Obviously, there's a ton of competition. In many cases, guys are sort of cannibalizing each other. And I think that the key to what we're doing is you're only as strong as the core group of coaches in the private space that you align with. So guys like Jim Zorn, someone who's really committed his entire life to coaching football, who has a vision to continue that career in, in the private space. Guys like Will Hewlett, who is just an excellent football coach that has a great story and has built a, a very great reputation with parents and athletes and coaches, being an excellent biomechanics expert who is continuing to develop his football knowledge. Guys like Sage Rosenfels, who was a 13-year NFL backup, veteran quarterback. What knowledge and experiences that he has to share with prospective athletes across the board. And again, I mean, his, his life's been around playing the game and really coaching the game as a lifetime backup. You're constantly in a position to assess the weekly plan and make sure that you're shooting ideas back and forth with the starter and you start to understand that it's not just about competition and getting to, to, to play, but being prepared when you get that opportunity is really how you, how you stay in the NFL and, and how you become a guy that a team trusts and will allow you to stick around for 13 years, knowing that you have someone that if, if there's a change of events, that you've got a guy who can step in there and finish a game and then at the same time be a consummate teacher. Coach like Ron Veal who's out of Atlanta, who's trained some of the best athletes in the country. Just recently, having worked with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, I was fortunate to come across Ron Veal. And again, it's, it's this core nucleus of private coaches that first and foremost takes time to identify and build trust and continue to sort of cultivate and develop and pull together to form this QB Collective's grassroots staff. And then second, it's, it's obviously not just bringing in NFL coaches, but some of the best and the brightest and the most accomplished in the industry, because the NFL is no different than any other industry. There's, there's certain folks who are operating at a much higher efficiency and that we're trained the right way. And to me, that's what the collective is about. It's really a compilation of, of some of the best and brightest at all levels. And then having those guys come together within a collective and develop each other. And so I think that that is, again, you're only as strong as your staff. And I think that that's what our core focus is, is trying to make sure that we put together a group that it takes time to do this. But then over time, these guys start to get on the same page and, and teach each other. Because obviously, there's a difference in working with a, a, a pro that's paid $30 million a year versus working with a, a kid who has a dream. And and I think that that the ecosystem is built for everyone to learn from each other and develop each other. Because as we've discussed in the past, I think the foundation 
So I know the foundation of QB Collective is first and foremost coaching development. And that group you mentioned, the the group of NFL coaches, these are a group of guys who, for I guess lack of a, a better word, they are, they are on a meteoric rise to the top of the NFL. Some of the, the brightest, the hottest names right now uh, on the coaching side of things. And you've been able to bring them into this uh, to interact with not only the, the other coaches you have, but with the players that you bring into to this camp. And we're going to get into the background of, of how you got to know these guys and how they've become a part of this. And, and what's a very interesting story, I think that's something that just kind of has led you to this point to bring them in. But we're talking about guys like the Shanahans, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur, some really bright guys that you've been involved with in the past are now part of the quarterback collective. And we'll talk, too, about how you got those guys involved. So very interesting story. But, Coach, let's get back to the beginning for you and, and really kind of focus on the, the influences and, and your background that really has brought you to this point. So for you, early on, it was the influence of your father. He's, he was named an SEC living legend, played ball in the SEC, and obviously his career had an impact on you. For you, you weren't necessarily alive at that time, but certainly I've heard the stories and read the news articles and all those things, which I'm sure had an influence on you early on in life. No doubt. I think it was a great influence. I I think it's sort of the foundation of all of this, which is, yes, I was born the year my dad actually retired from the game, but I did have the benefit because of his experience and he's been well-documented, was the fastest human being in the world as a high hurdler. And so I knew at a young age that, that he had played. I knew at a young age that he was a special athlete. And I think the influence my father kind of led to the fact that I knew it was attainable, the idea of playing in the NFL. That's a, a huge benefit as a young kid who kind of found my way and decided to develop exactly where I wanted to go and knew where I wanted to go, which was to play in the NFL one day. And so the the ability of kind of knowing that that's possible and it's achievable is really valuable stuff. It kind of helped me define my goal and and see the path. So yes, I mean that was that was the ultimate influence because I think that brings you one step closer. And again, I think the foundation of all of this is built on if you really believe in where you want to go and you understand where you want to go and you believe in yourself. Now it's just developing that that map and on how to get there. So his influence was very significant. For you then, you were very definitive about what you were going to do coming out of high school. And at the time, you were really early commit to Duke University. By today's standards, it's probably late, but at the time, very early to Duke. And I know in reading a little bit about that background, there was probably a lot of questions as to why did you pick Duke as the school you were going to go to? Well, a lot of people always ask me that. Having gone to high school in Birmingham, Alabama, you would assume that I had a dad who was a living legend at uh, University of Tennessee. My younger brother played at Ole Miss. My sister went to Auburn. My dad actually went to law school in Alabama, and my mom went to Tennessee. So I, I didn't have this allegiance for the SEC because I grew up in Miami. I actually went to a private school. A lot of kids went to Duke. So I grew up hearing about Duke. It was fresh in my mind. And and I think that not insignificant, when I was a junior, there was a player named Dawood Rashid. Matter of fact, his, 
his brother was a linebacker, Salim Rashid, at Alabama. But Wood Rashid was Mr. Football in the state of Alabama. And so I think as I considered Duke, it was relevant that the, the best player in the state actually chose to go up to Durham, North Carolina and play at Duke as well. But I think this all began with my dad having gone through this path and, and, and playing in the NFL really harped on me the value of an education and looking and considering schools that provided more than just a football program, but a degree and education relationships and that could last a lifetime. So kind of, I really bought into the fact that if you're good enough, you'll make it. And you just now need to focus on whatever positions yourself to give yourself the best opportunity to succeed and let the rest take care of itself. So the way I kind of looked at it was football was the main thing, but I would also prepare to fall back on an education and experience that could benefit me throughout a lifetime, even after playing football. So that was sort of the, the catalyst for going to Duke and, it was a great experience. They're a little bit better today than they were when I was there, but but a great experience nonetheless, and, and I wouldn't have changed a thing. And looking at this timeline of, of how the QB collective came together, there's a significant relationship that you developed in your time at Duke University. And you know we always talk about colleges, obviously the education, but it's also the relationships that you make that are going to benefit you and and have an effect on some things later in life. And talk to us about that key relationship that you made while you're at Duke. Absolutely. I'd say I also, that, that key relationship came to pass probably for the same reason I forgot, because I don't want to forget a chance to kind of put a plug in there for Fred Goldsmith, who was the head coach who I have a ton of respect for. He was the coach of the year at Rice and then the back-to-back coach of the year again at Duke the year before I went there. So we were on the upswing and we actually had a ton of great football players while I was there. The head coach at ECU, Scotty Montgomery, was a heck of a player. Mm-hmm. Chris Combs, he played in the NFL for a couple of years. Lenny Friedman played in the NFL for a, a while, actually. A kid named Darius Clark. So we had some NFL players. We had some talent, but fell short. But the significance of, of, of the relationship in particular that I met while I was there is Fred Goldsmith came up to me one day and said, hey, look, we need to have you host a recruit that's coming into town. And, and I was always up for a trip over to Chapel Hill. And so I was ready for this recruit. And he said, you've probably heard of this kid's father. He just won a Super Bowl. It's Kyle Shanahan. So it was interesting. We, we, we hit it off immediately. And I recruited Kyle to Duke. We ended up you know, rooming together during the summers. And I actually would go home in the off seasons with him back to Denver and get, get a chance to train with the pros. And, and again, some great relationship was sort of built there, which obviously became pretty significant in the future, but we've maintained a great friendship for years. And from Duke, then you actually had the opportunity to, to play in the NFL, even go over to Europe and play at the time in NFL Europe. Talk to us a little bit about how that really started to form this idea. I guess some of it really is you looking back on it later, but the idea starts to form eventually from your experiences in the NFL and in NFL Europe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so as I said, I kind of decided what I wanted to do when I was in second grade, essentially. And I'm a little bit on the type A side. I'm not going to use the term obsessive compulsive, but I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And then really my life became kind of built on 
what do I do to give myself the best chance of, of accomplishing that goal, which is playing in the NFL. So very significant after, after Duke, I had the opportunity to play in the NFL, was drafted by Jacksonville. But really what that represented to me was this belief that if I believed in myself and stayed the course, that I could accomplish my goal. And that was significant because it's sort of, I'd say to a certain extent, I had anxiety growing up going, I better get there because I'm really basing my life on go ahead and believe in this thing that sounds potentially cliche, believe in yourself and you'll get there. But I believed in it. And so I'll never forget when that happened. It was almost like a a sense of relief because I actually did accomplish exactly what I set out to do, which was to make it to the NFL. Probably looking back, my goal should have been to be a successful player in the NFL because I obviously had a bit of a, you know, not the most exciting career, but, but at the same time I did accomplish it. And then kind of what happened next throughout that, throughout my time trying to make it as a journeyman really did lay the foundation for what I'm doing today. Obviously I'd say I was around some really great football coaches being drafted by, by Jacksonville Jaguars and Tom Coughlin while I was there, Bobby Petrino was the offensive coordinator. I went on and jumped over to the Dallas Cowboys. My time there was really significant. I actually built a ton of relationships. People who, under, who know the Cowboys know that's a very loyal organization. If you go back to Dallas, the same faces that are there throughout the building were there 20 years ago. And I happened to be there at a time. Coach Campo was the head coach and Clancy Pendergast ran the scout team and Mike Zimmer was a defensive backs coach and coordinator and some some really quality coaches that I've built relationships with over the years that really became kind of knew me as this guy who was always competing, willing to run through a wall, could catch the football, and they knew that when 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 the lights came on in practice, uh, it was my Super Bowl, which kind of led to the the NFL Europe story. I kind of made up my mind because I was and I thought I was performing so well on the scout team that I had to go out to NFL Europe because I needed to be seen by all the NFL teams. I had, matter of fact, I had been asked to go to the Kansas City Chiefs the last game of the season and to, to take a contract with them. And I was wanted to stay loyal to the Cowboys. I liked Wes Chandler. And I'll never forget, before I went out to NFL Europe, in Barcelona, by the way, which that's probably the highlight of my career, Wes Chandler told me I shouldn't go out to NFL Europe. They were going to make a change offensively, and it would benefit me to really understand the offense. I really kind of saw that as in one ear and out the other and felt like I needed to go out to NFL Europe and prove myself. I actually did. I went out there. It was one of the all-NFL Europe and had a great experience. Coach Rotigliano and Coach McNell, basically their only rules were make sure you show up to the game, which I did and had a great experience. But nonetheless, that came to an end, and I returned back to Dallas. And just like Wes Chandler said, they had made an offense, offensive change. And to be honest, I had hurt my finger. I was a little behind the eight ball and really was playing catch-up the whole time during training camp. And so, again, wasn't able to put my best foot forward when it mattered, and it didn't work out for me. Fortunately, I was still given another chance from Coach Spurrier, Again, being around another group of excellent coaches, Marvin Lewis, Paul Gunther, Hugh Jackson was the running backs coach, Steve Spurrier, just some excellent football coaches, excellent philosophies. Again, ended up falling short, but again, and and not only did I fall short, I would say that I just wasn't prepared and wasn't a real student of the game and was 
thinking all too often when I had my opportunity and really my highlights happened in practice. And so again, fell short, but again, I figured out a way to stick around for three and a half years. We moved on to arena football in New York, had a little bit of time in Canada and then ultimately Saskatchewan, which that became pretty evident that that was time for me to hang it up. But again, it was this experience of believing in a goal, accomplishing it, and then kind of looking back on what I could have done to position myself for success. I think at that point, I decided to move on and go into more of a business focus and leave the game. But I certainly left with kind of this thought of, I know that I could have given myself a better chance because I was fast. I was a 4-4 athlete. I could catch the football and, and, and I'd practice hard and, and was willing to do everything that it took to kind of give my, put myself in a chance to succeed. But again, fell short. And I know for you and having talked to you that you kind of felt maybe you were in the wrong position in order to maximize your talents and what you were able to do. Talk to us a little bit about that story and your thoughts on maybe being out of position in the NFL. Yeah, there's no no question. I, I think I, I held the state interceptions record with George Teague. I think I averaged 13 or 14 interceptions a year. I grew up playing yard football and always wanted to just sit there as a safety and then pick the ball off. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I developed instincts for attacking the football and had the speed to kind of cover ground. So really, I was a safety that was athletic enough to convert over and play wide receiver which is significant because I did have offers at places like LSU and and FSU and Texas, but I decided that I wanted to catch the football because I had good hands and then really was a safety moving to wide receiver, trying to figure out the game from square one as a freshman in college. Again, I, we played in a, in a option offense, great football coach and buddy Anderson, actually the winningest high school football coach in Alabama six A history or Alabama history, I should say. So, again, I was around it my entire life, but this transition to wide receiver, I think that my dad probably knew I should have stayed at, at, at defense, on defense, but I think at the same time kind of wanted to, this idea of me being a 200-pound safety and taking on 250-pound running backs, I think he probably kept it close to the vest and decided I should move over to wide out. But, it, again, that is significant because my instincts were as a defensive player – and then as an offensive player, I had the skills to succeed. But then again, it even magnified the importance of understanding exactly what you're doing and what the offense is trying to accomplish. Looking back, that's how I could have enjoyed far more success. And kind of both of these aspects of your playing career come into effect in, in what you end up doing later down the line. And the, the first was the effect of the great coaches that you had been in touch with. And then secondly, that idea of being able to unlock some of the, the things that an athlete needs to be successful. And, and kind of both of those things, I, I believe, are kind of the core of what you're doing with the QB Collective. But talk to us a little bit about those two aspects of what you took away from your playing career. Really, what I'd say, what I took away from my playing career was had I had I fully understood the importance of fully understanding all the moving parts of the game and, and had I looked, been able to 
look at the game through the lens of a coach from 10,000 feet above and had a greater understanding for what offense and defense is trying to accomplish, I would have given myself a far greater chance to succeed. Again, unlocking your potential would lead to your ability to kind of just get out there and let the game come to you and, and, and play unhinged. And I think that you have to be able to do that in order to have success. So the foundation of that was, man, I wish I had a chance to redo that, but I guess it's too late. And after your playing career, you, you leave the game for, for a number of years before you come back to it. What did you do in that, that period between playing and coaching? Well, I certainly never saw myself as becoming a coach. You know, to me, that was kind of one of the things I knew I didn't want to do as a player. And I, I think that a lot of players have that same mindset. They see how hard these coaches work, and you kind of decide that's not what you want to do, or you decide it is what you want to do. <laughs> in my case, it was the, you know, it was the, it was not what I wanted to do. So I left football altogether. I actually went into real estate development, had the opportunity to work under a guy named Roger Stahlback, again, around some excellent leaders and innovators, and then followed that path until around 2008, 2009, when the real estate market melted down. And then probably none, unlike a lot of other people, it, I kind of started looking at reevaluating what I wanted to do. And really, my heart led me back to football, what I had known, what I had kind of really was my compass for what I wanted to do in my life. And it made a whole lot of sense for me to kind of go back to what I knew and loved. And, and so I decided to start exploring ways to do that. I would say that I understand and respect how hard it is to get into coaching because I literally wrote letters. I did all the things that, that, that young coaches trying to break into the industry tried to do or do. And fortunately for me, that relationship that I built at Duke paid off. Coach Shanahan was hired by the Washington Redskins. I had kind of been calling him while he was in Denver and then all of a sudden he was let go and so I had to wait another year and I Kyle's even told me today it was the persistence I showed from when he was fired in Denver to the time that he was hired in, at the Redskins which is actually really the primary reason why they hired me but I was fortunate enough to have been hired by the Redskins at the beginning of Mike Shan Shanahan's tenure and absolutely it was that experience that laid the foundation for everything that's happening today. Rich when you leave the, the playing days, you go into business for a while, then you have the opportunity to see the game now from the eyes of a coach, which is distinctly different than that of a player. And you're learning from some of the best, with some of the best, some very key players in, in the coaching world. Talk to us a little bit about moving from that experience as a player now into a coach with just some incredible names that you're going to share with us. Yeah, I mean, this was highly significant. I'll never forget when, when I was hired, I had this mindset that because I played in the NFL, that I, was, I had a lot to offer as a coach. And the first thing I'd say that I learned when I was hired by Mike Shanahan was how little I knew about the game. <laughs> and I think that was magnified by the fact that when I walked in the door, shared an office with Sean McVay, who was the other quality control coach. and this was, we look back on it now, I mean, this was the youngest staff ever assembled in the NFL and, and really had the benefit of being around some of the top, young, brightest, and just established coaches in the game. 
the staff consisted of obviously Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan and uh, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, who's actually the run game coordinator of the 49ers now, Matt LaFleur, who's the new offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans, Chris Furster, a bunch of coaches that were highly regarded as football coaches within the industry and, and are today. So it, this experience, like I said, began with me realizing how little I knew. And I'll never forget, I went back home to my wife multiple times, especially earlier in my career, and just like, what am I doing here? I mean, these guys are literally creating competitions in-house about who can memorize play sheets quicker, who can, within a millisecond, essentially recognize the coverage, pre-snap read, who can tell you which dogs and blitzes are coming. And uh, and, and then there's me, who's trying to make sure that, that the one picture of the playbook looks consistent with the, with the way that Kyle wants it. And, and again, it was a daunting task to kind of catch up to those guys. Wasn't sure if I would ever get there, but nonetheless, I mean, that was what my job was. And I think it was really relevant to me because I think if you were to ask me to write down on a piece of paper what I wasn't good at, or at least what were my weaknesses, it was probably the job description of a quality control coach. And so really I had my work cut out for me and looking back on it, what a great experience to be in such a competitive environment with so many young and talented and overall talented coaches on a day-to-day basis. Again, it was a humbling experience, but now looking back, it was like, what a, what an amazing opportunity. And I will say at the time, it didn't take very long to recognize that to a certain extent, I was basically sitting there on the inside of, of a team or a staff that would eventually kind of resemble the, the 88 Packers of modern day. And so there was no question that I was a part of something special. And, and then I think the experiences that were probably filled with a bunch of tumultuous experiences and, and ups and, and more downs than ups. And, and it was those experiences that really shaped both, I'd say actually both personally and then in general, being a part of that staff, I think the, the, the tough times really define what, what you're going to do in the future. And so that was a really challenging four years of my life. But I kind of had a hunch that this was building towards something meaningful. And it was those experiences, being a part of that culture led by Mike Shanahan, that really shaped what I do in coaching representation and then with regards to the vision for QB Collective. For you, you really look at that experience with the Redskins as a sort of learning lab that you you learned a ton there. And then this starts to take shape in, in your vision eventually for what becomes the quarterback collective. Talk to us a little bit about that idea that that was really a lab for your learning. Yeah, the I've heard someone referred to it in the past as the Redskins lab. And that's kind of stuck with me because that's exactly what it was. Again, what I realized is how little I knew about the game, despite thinking that I had a lot more knowledge. And then really it was the beginning of every day that I came to work. It was, how do I look at the game in a way that I can catch up to the Sean McVay's and the Kyle Shanahan's and so on and so forth. And so really Sean McVay actually have a really great story here. I mean, we look at Sean McVay's presentation and he's probably as good as anybody in the game and he worked on it. Not only did he work on it, I mean, John Gruden worked on it with him 
and would demand Sean McVay would start by drawing circles. And then once he perfected his circles, he would perfect his X's. And then once he had perfected his X's, he needed to work on his presentation. And, and John would essentially have Sean teach him protections and concepts every day. And so Sean worked at it. And, and he's such a great student. He was taught that way. And it's a testament to John Gruden and Sean's ability to recognize and take advantage of, of, of his predecessor's investment in him that, that really has led to his success. And, and I think that's really the foundation of what all of this is, is that I recognize that four years later, after realizing I knew very little, I knew a whole lot and was pretty proud of the progress I had made. And ultimately, so was Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and the rest of the staff, because it didn't happen overnight and it wasn't easy. But it was what I learned and the process that became very relevant to me. I'd say I really understood it a year after leaving Washington and kind of being a part of another culture and then looking back going, huh, that very specific process and system that led, was led by Mike Shanahan and, and his philosophy and, his, and this culture with Mike Shanahan knows exactly what he wants offensively. And, and then this demanding atmosphere that really folk forces coaches to, to, to know exactly what's expected of them, what's exactly what's expected of, of, your, of your players, to make sure that you put athletes through the, 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 the proper training in order to be successful on game day, understanding exactly what your individual period looks like, making sure that there's this deep self-evaluation and re-evaluation of your players and yourself and, and your offense, and always ask, asking questions about how you could have gotten better, and then also analyzing mistakes and how you could have better prepared those players and making sure that they actually could do and execute on that skill set during the week. Because if they can't, then you probably shouldn't have put them in there. Essentially, this mindset that mental mistakes are the coach's fault because he either showed you he could do it prior to the game or he didn't. And then from a, a learning standpoint, as a former wide receiver, you typically sort of don't focus on understanding the run game. I mean, we've all been in wide receiver rooms where you're highlighting your routes. Well, that just wouldn't work. And so being a part of that offense forced me to look at the run game because the run game in that system lays the foundation for, for everything that happens. I mean, ultimately what it does is produces out of control quarterback efficiency. If you look at the, the progress or the, the past track record of that system, but What's significant is that you, in order to really understand what's going on, you have to understand fronts, gap responsibilities. You need to understand how a defense is going to cover a certain run so you can replace the second level. You have to understand coverages. You have to really look at the entire piece. And I think that that's what I mean by it really speeds up your learning process because it forces you to look at the game through the lens of a coach. And it was that process that allowed me to go from really feeling like I knew nothing to realizing that I, how much I had actually learned. And, and that was really significant to me because it was four years later when I realized, man, if I had learned this as a younger athlete, maybe in junior high, where someone had really kind of sat me down and said, listen, I'm, trust me, I'm going to try to get you to do something now that you'll regret that you didn't do later, then that would have been very significant. And what I would have told my younger self was, Look at the game through the lens of a coach. Apply this process and this methodology that I was fortunate enough to have been a part of, even though it was too late for me as a player. Start now. 
Because if you understand this stuff and this process and this methodology, it's very proven, then you could be half as talented and play twice as long. Essentially, what you could do is unlock your potential, put your best foot forward, and when the lights come on, succeed and, and ultimately put it to task and, and, and give yourself the best chance to succeed. And so that, that experience there, to me, I recognize what a powerful concept that really knowledge is power and that that really was a path to being successful and giving young athletes a chance to succeed or giving them a higher probability of success by really focusing on something that can be taught that really is a result of a culture that started with Mike Shanahan and then was evolved by Kyle Shanahan. I think it's really interesting when you look at Kyle Shanahan, as close as I am with him and being around both Mike and Kyle, what you realize is that Mike Shanahan was was one of the ultimate innovators in the game. And like I said, knew, knew exactly what he wanted and, and was very demanding of his coaches. And, and you either delivered on what he wanted or you probably wouldn't be there very long. And then you look at Kyle Shanahan and you realize he grew up with that mentality throughout his entire life. So no one was around the philosophy more. And then at the same time, you look at Kyle and imagine having to grow up in the shadow of someone like Mike Shanahan. And what you have is, is really probably what laid the foundation for Kyle being as talented as he is, is that this desire to succeed and, and prove that he's going to do it himself and that he can innovate as well and that he's always evolving. Because if you don't evolve every day and, and you don't continue to get better, then you become stale and you, you, know, you essentially die on the vine. And, and so Kyle was always thinking through how do we evolve? And, and, and so really what you see with Kyle Shanahan when he left the Houston Texans and came to the Washington Redskins was the evolution of the Mike Shanahan system. And then Kyle taught all of his coaches, he would use the term, use your brain. And it's kind of funny, but it's very real. And I've thought, thought, thought about it a bunch over the years. And he's teaching you to evolve that system. And so now all of a sudden you've got four or five coaches who happen to be some of the youngest, youngest, best and brightest who are thinking the way that he's taught them to think, which is evolve, use your brain, think through what the defense is doing, and maybe come up with new stems and new ideas. And then always study different runs and the way the defense is covering it. And so Kyle's always understands exactly what the defense is trying to do and understands the, the soft spots in a defense because really that's the foundation of what he does offensively is, is knowing that leads to the way that he evolves and, and forces his coaches to, to have that same way of thinking. So now all of a sudden you've got four or five coaches who come to the table with real ideas, with logic behind it, and, and that's the culture that he's building is forcing guys to think that way so it's not just, just Kyle. It's a bunch of guys he's training to have this same mindset. And I think it's just an amazing environment for coaching development. And for you, as you went through this experience, and you did step away from coaching, but you you saw that a couple things here. Number one, that when you did go away and had those other experiences, that this was not just the culture and some very bright minds working together, that this all kind of fits together in a system and that system can be taught to develop both the player and the coach. Absolutely. As a player, that system, especially as a quarterback, it puts you in a position to succeed. I mean, you look at the track record of that system and you start wondering, 
what all these Alandis Gary and Terrell Davis and Mike Anderson and in Washington it was Alfred Morris. At Baltimore it was Justin Forsett all of a sudden wins a rushing title. Arian Foster at the Texans <laughs> had a heck of a career there. It's really uncanny and it repeats itself. And so really why I start with the running back is it establishes a, a robust run game. And then the next step is quarterback efficiency is, is, is typically what you'll see repeat itself. You look at Jake Plummer in Arizona versus in, in Denver. You look at Matt Ryan before and during Kyle Shanahan's tenure, one of the most efficient seasons in NFL history and Robert Griffin and Kirk Cousins, obviously heck of a heck of a player and kind of started there. Obviously, Jared Goff, the impact that the system and Sean McVay's leadership has made on his career. It, it, it really repeats itself. And that's sort of where I look at it from a player perspective and a value proposition, not only to the team, the front office, sometimes those players that don't have to get picked as high can really result in a ton of success and value. But ultimately that run game uh, is so important with quarterback efficiency. And when I started looking at it from a player perspective, in order to have that success, again, you have to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And so it really does. It forces you to look at the game through the lens of a coach and it forces a coach to look at the game in a way that not everybody expects you to. And I think that that's where it all ties back to the innovation of Mike Shanahan and the culture that was built there. This is not just about Mike Shanahan. This is about the experience that I had and what it meant to me as a former player who became a coach. And then it became so evident that this culture that, that really he built that I had this amazing opportunity to be a part of really is, is quality of, of a, a training ground for players and coaches. And, and, and then it was sort of how I could take those experiences and, and to a certain extent scale what I had learned through the QB Collective and put together a program that is built to give players a better chance to succeed and really in turn trains you to look at the game like a coach and then in turn obviously says, this is coaching development focused because it speeds up the learning process for your players. It gives you a, a real process that, that's backed by a ton of proven statistics and success. And look, at the bottom line, I'd love to say that I was just had the foresight to recognize how to bring Sean McVay into our program when he was still the coordinator of the Redskins and Mike McDaniel, who's now the run game coordinator. The Niners was a quality control coach back then. Ultimately, Jeremy Bates, for example, who was another Shanahan disciple, was out of football altogether. And now he's the coordinator of the Jets. Really, that's not me. I just had the benefit of being a part of that. And that system, which is very clear to me, is preparing guys for success and looks to be a little bit of a trend here on those guys are being hired in some pretty interesting positions around the NFL. And so that's the foundation of what the QB Collective is, is a, a way of teaching players to look at the game through the lens of a coach, a way of taking coaches that have this proven philosophy and have been around a culture that's all about growth mindset and then bringing that former, bringing that QB Collective grassroots staff in with some of these amazing minds and creating an ecosystem where these guys can feed off each other and when develop through allowing other folks to have access to that same exact experience and culture that I had access to without having to necessarily just be hired by them in the NFL. And so that's what it, sort of what this is, is a place that coaches can get to network, 
build their personal and professional networks, and then at the same time talk ball. How well do you know these coaches? Well, you'll get to know them better. What do you know? Well, it's not just what I was taught, and, and, and it's not just about regurgitating it, but it's about understanding what other people are taught and, and creating an environment where those coaches are willing to, to, to pass on some of that knowledge and then share each other's experiences of, of, of your development process and then kind of creating a, a, once, a, a once a year opportunity to kind of reconnect with those coaches and, and, and develop each other and capture that stuff in content to where we can revisit it and then introducing some of the most talented players across the country and, 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 and putting together a couple of days, a personalized environment that's completely based on development for everybody. I think that there's intrinsic value in this program for everyone, which is why I think that what I think makes it special, it's not just about focusing on amateur athletes and their scholarship offers. It's about First and foremost, in order for those coaches to come and be a part of something that is free, that they're not getting paid to do, and the athletes aren't paying either, is first and foremost, you have to create a value proposition that's real. And, and that's what's been really exciting for me is the calls that I've received from coaches asking if they could come be a part of this program. And uh, I used to make four-hour phone calls to try to get the players to come be a part of it because there's so much competition in this space, and every kid gets 50 camp offers that you have to be able to really explain how you differentiate yourself in order to capture the attention of these parents and athletes who are looking for development that can move the needle. And knowing that that's exactly what this was, I spent a ton of time on the phone, but that's the exciting thing about where we are today is that I really don't have to make phone calls. Those coaches and athletes and parents are reaching out, trying to understand how they could be a part of this for a couple of days. And then I think that that's sort of what the long-term vision is, is, is how this is available to everybody and how we can be able to share this experience and our vision and grow to where everybody can access what we're building. Richmond, this has been an incredible story that you've, you've shared how all of this has really come together. And the result of that and what you've put out there for the football world is the events that you have one just a couple of weeks ago. As you look back on your camp, what were some of your favorite moments and some of the things that, that you saw that you thought were really effective, both for the players and, and for the coaches who were able to see it? Absolutely the most gratifying experience through really all of this is the feedback from the parents after the event. I think that that's what this was built for, is recognizing that I felt like there was a, there was a gap to be filled, bringing in some of the most influential coaches in the sport, really, and establishing a, a forum where everybody can learn from their different philosophies and with a focus on the classroom. And so it's the, it's the parents' feedback on our program and the value that it adds relative to looking at the game in the film room and, and through analysis on the whiteboard, connecting what we do through concept execution to what we do in the classroom and the way that the fundamentals and technique connect to, to scheme. And, and I think it's the X and O based approach that really separates us. And that, that is, that's the, the conversations that we seem to constantly have. We have parents that reach out telling us that this has really been highly beneficial and that it shouldn't be a one-time program. And that's where I think that it's always really interesting is sort of what drives vision and this movement to continue moving forward and then to think bigger 
on how we scale and create something that can benefit everybody or really parent, coach, and athlete is, is built on the feedback and the testimonials of people who have gone through our program, really coach, parent, and athlete. And so that's really what sticks out to me is the many testimonials and, and conversations that I've had about the value that these parents see who have been to every camp in the country over the last couple of years. And they just, they just see that this is different. And, and I think that that's sort of what's exciting is that I think we have found a niche to take this pro style philosophy, fundamentals deeply rooted in a proven way of doing things. And then more importantly, really kind of teaching players and, and coaches in general to to look at the game in a way that I think speeds up the learning process uh, with hopes of unlocking and putting your best foot forward and, and being able to, to kind of reach your, your greatest potential. Well, Richmond, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing both this story and, and the vision for player development, for coach education. How can our listeners learn more? Can you share your website and your Twitter handle? Absolutely. The website, which we're actually currently updating our, our plans for 2019 to expand on a more regional focused level. And that's www.qbcollective.com. And then both Twitter, which is where we stay most active, and Instagram is at QB underscore collective. Thanks again, Richmond. It was great to talk with you, hear about all these concepts, hear these stories, and see this vision for the future and keep up the, the great work you're doing out there. I appreciate you having me on, Keith. Love what you're doing. Thanks. I certainly have enjoyed developing a relationship with Richmond, and I'm really excited about what the QB Collective is going to do moving forward with quarterback development as well as coach education. Their influence continues to grow, and I have an enormous appreciation for how they've grown by doing things the right way. I'll have Richmond back on in the near future so we can learn more about what they are doing.